Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, the Word of God that we're going to look at today comes from our Old Testament reading of Genesis chapter 22. If you have your Bibles out, you'll see that it's called Abraham Tested. If you remember, Abraham first came onto the scene in the book of Genesis in chapter 12 where he's called out of his home and he's asked to leave that place and to trust God that there will be even more for him if he goes. And you remember then that Abraham was a man who goes through many tests and many trials throughout his life. He left the safety and the security of the city. He had to split up his land eventually with his nephew Lot and gave him first choice of the direction. He is the one who pleads for Sodom and Gomorrah to being told he will have a son in his old age. And he is the first name when people say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if you are still hip and with it, you know that his hit song, Father Abraham, is still competing with Taylor Swift for the top streams each and every month after all these centuries. Now, traditionally, the Jews usually say that Abraham was tested or tried in the Bible 10 different times. I think it's been said that he was also tried on this occasion in our text today 10 times here alone. And so I think it's fitting that that tiny little line above this paragraph in the story in your Bible is described as Abraham tested. Now, I don't know how many, and this will be my second pop cultural reference, I'm on fire today, Hermione Grangers we have out there, but for many of us, hearing the word test is not cool. So we might be asking ourselves, why does God test us? Why does anybody want to test us? I see some teachers out there, ones that I even had. Maybe I should turn the tables right now and ask them, why give tests? But we have good teachers. We know why they test. They give tests so that students can show that they have understood and mastered the material. No one gives a test in the hopes that that student will fail. And the teacher's role is to help understand. And if the material isn't mastered or shown on the test, then they go over that material again and they try a new way to help the student so that they can grow and learn and do what needs to be done. And for the student, tried to understand the concept, they have to study. They have to work at it. And on the test, they demonstrate their ability to show that they can do what they are asked in that moment. The truth is some of us like tests and some of us don't. So as we approach this text this morning, the first thing we have to do, though, is we do have to become okay with the idea and the knowledge that God tests us. God tests us, but He does not tempt us. God desires us to grow in faith and love. He does not set us up so that we fail and so that we feel bad or that He can laugh at us and point at us and shame us because we weren't good enough to pass the test. He does not test us because He is cruel or trying to stick it to us. Rather, like gold is refined in the fire, we are told, so are we through testing. And in both the Old and New Testaments, the word translated test can mean to prove by trial. Therefore, when God tests His children, His purpose is to prove that our faith is real. Not that God needs to prove it to Himself since He knows all things, but he is proving to us that our faith is real, that we are truly his children, and that no trial ultimately will overcome our faith. 
We are told and we believe that through testing of our faith, we develop perseverance, which leads to maturity in our walk with God. James goes on to say that testing is a blessing because when the testing is over and we have stood the test, we will receive the crown of life. Receive being the key word there, not earn, which God has promised to all those who love and believe in Him. We find in Scripture, especially in Romans 8, that testing comes from our Heavenly Father who works out all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called to be the children of God. Which isn't to say that no bad will come or we won't have trouble or we won't have disaster. Quite the opposite, really, since we live in a fallen world. But rather we learn through it all good, salvation, and being known by God, having His love always is never severed by testing. Therefore, he is working good to all of us who have been born again, who have become his children. And the testing and the trials that we undergo come to each one of us in different and various ways. And part of being a disciple of Jesus requires us to move out of our comfort zones and into the unknown of testing. Finally, Scripture reminds us that that perseverance and testing resulting in spiritual maturity also leads to completeness. So it's no wonder that James wrote about the attitude we should have when it comes to testing is this, to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Whether that is in small ways of daily irritations or severe afflictions, or attacks from the evil one himself, whatever the source of testing is, it is to our benefit to undergo the trials and the testing that God allows. With this firmly rooted in our hearts, let's go once again into the text. And you can pull out your Bibles or it's in your bulletins and you can follow along as the words are on the screen as well. Now this verse was not so much a test to produce faith for Abraham, not as if he had no faith and this was the make or break moment, rather this was a test to reveal his faith. This is a key point for our own lives. Do you prove your salvation? No, how could you? Jesus proves your salvation, not you. But we do work out our salvation is what scripture says. We are to learn what it means to be saved, what it means to be a disciple, and when tested, we reveal our faith. Sometimes we do it well, and sometimes we need to repent and turn back to God. But the knowledge, the trust we have, must be acted on. And we see this everywhere in the Bible, for faith and love go hand in hand. They are never separated. We come to experience that God tests us, not so that we can check off some state standards and move on to the next grade or whatever it is, and if we don't pass, then we fail and have to retake the test or keep reliving the experience until we do, but rather that through time and experience, we grow closer to God and we become stronger disciples. When we experience waves crashing on us and wind whipping everywhere, we are told to become like a tree that digs its roots even more deeply for a greater grip on the earth, digging our roots more deeply into God's Word, clinging to Him so that we can weather whatever storms comes our way. And I think it's safe to say that Abraham knew this, that tests and trials go hand in hand with the disciple life. And you better believe that Jesus knew this, 
and that the disciples learned this after his resurrection and that we too are learning this in our own life. God was building Abraham piece by piece, year by year, into a person of faith, just like he does for each one of us. And here in this instance, we see what that faith looks like. The response is very simple. Here I am when you are called. A quick reply of always being ready to be taught, always being being ready to obey, always being ready to surrender, always being ready to be examined, even if the test is an especially hard one. Which the test in this text certainly presents. In fact, people often struggle with just how extreme and horrible this test is, and I don't blame them. Blame them. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Offer him as a burnt sacrifice to me. I can't think of a more disturbing test than this. Coincidentally, this is the first time that I think it says love in the Bible. A love between a father and a son. A love connected to sacrifice. And Abraham was a foreigner, a pilgrim in the land of Canaan. And if you're not too familiar with the other religions of the time, many of the priests there offered human sacrifices to their gods. So this was probably not something strange or unheard of to Abraham. But I'm sure he thought that Yahweh was different. And I wonder if he felt something that we aren't told in the story, had some thoughts. But we don't see his thoughts or feelings, we just see action. Because Abraham was revealing a trust in the promise, sir. Not in the promise that he was given. See, Isaac, his son, his only son, whom he loved, was promised to be his heir. And before this, even though he repeats it at the end of this text, Abraham was told that he would have as many descendants as stars in the sky. And yet here he is asked to offer up his only son. And he does not hesitate. Because when it comes down to it, Abraham trusted the promiser more than the embodiment of the promise. He trusted that despite what he was hearing and seeing and about to experience, the promiser would remain faithful to him. Which is a moment for us now to consider that as well. Which do you value more? The promise, the fulfillment, or the promiser? Are you willing to be okay if you don't receive good every second of the day? What about if you don't even get it for most of your days? Are you willing to be okay if what you ask for, what you pray for, you don't get, despite how much you wanted it? Are you willing to be okay if your expectations and your plans aren't met? And perhaps it's difficult to trust the promiser because we live in a time where the God of our land is success. And when it doesn't come, and you are not successful, and you have not received and got what you want, then where is your value? After all, why didn't the promiser who loves you deliver what you wanted when you want it? Perhaps it's hard to trust the promiser because you're tired and exhausted. I get that. And maybe just once. Wouldn't it just be okay if God just made your life just a little bit easier. Perhaps it's hard to trust the promiser for you because it's easier to be distracted, 
It's easier to check out. It's easier to not have to worry about your problems. But perhaps in a very powerful and a very purposeful way, it is the promiser's testing which keeps us focused on the promiser and not the results of where we are at that moves us from that uh, fast food mentality of all that matters is the moment and getting it now, that type of thinking and living, and instead fixes our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Perhaps through testing, the promiser is showing us that there is a different way to live. And I don't know if you remember, but Hebrews 11 lists out a bunch of Old Testament heroes and ends with saying that not all of them received immediately what they were promised. Some of them didn't even get what they were promised in this life, but received everything and more in Christ at their death. And each one of us must consider, can we do it? Can we wait in patience? Can we trust through trials and tests? Can we white-knuckle and bear the cross on our own? The answer is no. You can try, but you cannot do it. But by the grace of the promiser, well, for this very reason, we kneel before the promiser, the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The text continues and says, In the morning, Don Abraham got up. Look what he did. He loads the donkey himself, doing it all by himself, owning the test. He could have sent his servants to do it. He was a rich man, but he by faith and love follows each detail. On the third day, he looks up, saw the place in the distance. He says to the servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We're going to worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, put the wood on his son, the cross. Did you catch that? The son who carries the wood on his back up the mountain. Then there's going to come a question of where is the lamb. That's not going to get answered till generations later by John the Baptist. He'll point to you the lamb. And there'll be the mention of the third day here. And even though we think Isaac is going to die, he won't. But he will figuratively be raised to life. There will be one who will die and will literally be brought to life. It's hard to read this story and not immediately think of Jesus. But back to the text, the answer that Abraham gives, right, despite what he has seen and experienced, is that he trusts the promiser. We can take God's promise and think that it is us who need to make it happen, 
but the promiser is going to be the one who delivers the promises, not you or me. See, Abraham thought, or through testing, learned a lesson that yes, anything was possible, but there is something that is impossible, and that is God making a promise to you. The promise you received there at your baptism. The promise you receive, hands outstretched. His body, His blood given for you. Abraham believed God would do it no matter what and trusted and followed what God said. Trusted that somehow God will do this. That somehow God could even raise someone from the dead. When they reach the place God told them about, He builds an altar, arranges the wood, grabs the knife, And the angel of the Lord calls out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. There's the response again. Here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son. And in the crazy twist, we see that this is really a story more about God than it is about Abraham. For our God is not the one who demands we offer the sacrifice, but as you see, is the one who offers the sacrifice for us. Abraham learned firsthand that our God is different from all others. Our God is the one who will give up or who has given up his son. Our God is the one who saves those who cannot save themselves. Our God is the one who out of death brings life, who takes the very worst thing that there is, death, and strips it of its power and instead replaces it with hope and promise. Our God is the one who's shown His ultimate love and commitment to us which should fuel us to have faith just like Abraham who through every test, every trial learned the faithfulness of God so that we too can say back to God what He has said to us. You have not withheld Your Son, Your only Son from us. God, we know that You love us. So here... I am. And then the ram is provided in the next text. And in verse 14, it says this, Abraham calls the place the Lord will provide. And I'll close with this. Notice the name of the mountain. Not worst weekend ever. Not I passed the test mountain. Just the Lord will provide. In every test, in every moment, whether through pain and joy and loss in life, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Yes, on the mountain of the Lord, at Calvary, all is provided. And as we journey to the cross for our Lord together this season, I pray that God gives us the strength to embrace every test that comes our way. Because blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Amen.